Walgreens shows its hand. This is Industry Focus. Hey everyone, welcome to Industry Focus Healthcare Edition. I'm your host, Christine Hargis. And although Todd Campbell is not back to join me today, I am pleased to welcome healthcare analyst Michael Douglas to the show. Thank you, Christine. It is wonderful to be back. Uh, Hopefully, maybe a few folks have missed me. Maybe. Probably not many, though. (laughs) I'm sure plenty have. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're here. We have a really fun topic today to talk about. Big news that came out recently that uh, Walgreens is acquiring Rite Aid. So, this made quite a splash, even when the Wall Street Journal initially reported it. But as of this morning, the official announcement is out there. This is a $17.2 billion all-cash transaction, where Walgreens is paying $9 per share to acquire its fellow competitor, Rite Aid. And now, this is pretty big for the industry, because it this is a space totally dominated by three players. You've got Rite Aid and Walgreens, and then you've got your CVS. And as it stands... This looks like it could bring the number two and number three players together to surpass the number one player. Is that what you're seeing, Michael? Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely a a, a push for additional scale by Walgreen. I, I think that's very clear. And um, you've seen CVS also working to scale up uh, elsewhere. Um, earlier this year, CVS acquired uh, announced plans to acquire Target's pharmacies. Um, and sort of put little sort of mini CVSs in there, um, and so you know this is the name of the game across healthcare right now. Like everyone is just consolidating, um, and you're seeing it not just in the retail pharmacies, but you're seeing it in uh, in biotech, in pharma, in insurance. Um, just everyone's looking to bulk up. It seems. Yeah, I mean this is a, a trend that we're seeing pretty much across the board, mm-hmm. and you know sometimes you get a little bit of ambiguous explanations for it. You know, we expect synergies in this particular deal. We're expecting a billion dollars in synergies, and it kind of remains to be seen whether those will actually be achieved. I mean, I would have thought, okay, it's for better leverage and negotiations, your scale. But then you turn to this morning's conference call, and they said that's not the case. Yeah. Uh- CEO uh, Stefano Piscina, uh, that's uh, that's Walgreens Boots Alliance's CEO, said, uh, and I quote, um, "We have not done this to increase our negotiating power." Uh, just full stop. And so you just sit there and you're like, "Okay, well then, well then, what was the goal?" Yeah, I mean, one thing that I, I came across in my research, Forbes wrote an article quite a while ago, actually well before this was announced. I think it came out in March. And they noted that Walgreens sales per square foot is about 54% above that of those of Rite Aid. Mm-hmm. And so if they could get that sort of profitability out of all of these new Rite Aid stores, then that would stand at a $12.5 billion revenue boost. Mm-hmm. If you can take these stores that are underperforming and max them out and get them to perform at the level of a Walgreens. But of course, you run into the issue of you see all the time a Walgreens right next to a CVS, right next to a Rite Aid. Mm -hmm. So are they really to be expected to keep all those stores open and also push up their productivity? Right, and 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 there are a couple of other there are a couple of issues packed into there, right? So first off, the issue of store cannibalization, right? When when Rite Aid bought Eckerd back in 07, there was enormous store cannibalization and just falling same store sales, and you actually saw uh, Rite Aid pretty much like reducing its count 
uh, of stores, I think pretty much until 2015. Yeah, I mean, anybody that remembers that history, I think, is throwing up a flag at this deal and saying, is the same thing going to happen again? Right. And and, and the fact of the matter is, you know, Rite Aid is, is certainly more concentrated in certain markets, uh, whereas Walgreens does has sort of a, a broader national exposure. And international. Um, and international, with the Boots Alliance transaction, which was completed earlier this year. Um, but I, I think the other piece we have to kind of ask with this Walgreens Rite Aid um, uh, transaction is okay. So Rite Aid has already been improving its store productivity through the wellness remodels, and I'm uh, when Rite Aid released earnings um, a couple months ago. Uh, one of the things that they talked about was um, that their wellness remodeled stores were were outperforming on same store comps by something like 3.5 percentage points in growth, which is just an enormous amount. So you have to wonder, okay, how is Walgreens going to sort of you know improve those numbers? Is it going to be Putting the wellness remodels out across all Rite Aids. Currently, it's about 41% of the store count. Or is it going to be sort of taking some of whatever Walgreens secret magic is and sort of adding that on top of the wellness remodel? And maybe even taking some best practices from the wellness remodels and bring them over to Walgreens stores. It's 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 not very clear, and management hasn't really done much to tell us specifically what they're planning to do. Yeah, there definitely wasn't any specific signposting in this conference call. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing that I, I, for me, looking at this, I said, oh, maybe this is the heart of why they did this, was the PBM side of things. Of course, you have Rite Aid acquired Envision RX, mm-hmm. their pharmacy benefits manager. But really, to me, this seems like it would be kind of small potatoes to Walgreens. So I wonder, is there plan there to expand that and, and to develop this in-house PBM from this small company that Rite Aid originally acquired. And if that really looked like such a promising business to begin with, couldn't Walgreens just have acquired it on their own before Rite Aid actually nabbed it up? I mean, this leaves me with a lot of questions. Sure. And, and probably, at a, let's face it, Walgreens could have come in with a, with a higher price point, too, because you know, they're they bigger. Scale. They, they're, they're bigger. They've got, um, they've got much less. Uh, they're not weighted down by debt like Rite Aid has been. Um, it's interesting because, again, sort of reading through that call transcript, um, you didn't really get the sense that um, that the PBM was that core to their to their investing thesis. Um, you, you really got the sense that the PBM was was a nice thing to have. You know, it's a top ten PBM. That's nice to have. But that and that it would give them some better understanding of thing of kind of the Medicare landscape and, and a few other pieces. But you didn't really get the sense that that was core to their investing thesis here. Um, and so in my head, it's it's very much Walgreens kind of doubling down on this retail pharmacy uh, centric mindset that they've had, which is in a lot of ways very different from what CVS Health has done. And you you really do have. Theoretically now, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about the FTC in a minute. But theoretically now, what you have is these two companies that are are, are are retail pharmacies, and I'm putting that in scare quotes for our listeners. Retail pharmacies, but really very different uh, companies because you have CVS, which has really focused on the PBM side. The majority of their revenue flows through the PBM, and um, and while they've certainly done a lot with the retail pharmacy, they've accepted uh, a loss on tobacco and the retail pharmacy side, in part to help prop up that PBM business um, and to sort of make it uh, a more attractive business, we imagine, um, in in contract negotiations. While they've never been able to point to a specific number, that's what they've done. You've got Walgreens, which reaffirmed that they plan to kind of stay the course on selling tobacco. Um, that really does seem to be doubling down on this retail pharmacy-centric model. Exactly. And as you mentioned, one of the big questions that's still left here is, 
will this deal be allowed to go through Mm -hmm. by the FTC, which, of course, wants to prevent this kind of monopolization, or in this case, it would be a duopoly of the retail pharmacy business. And now, traditionally, the FTC doesn't like duopolies, and they will shut that kind of thing down. However, it's my suspicion that given this push towards lower drug prices, Mm -hmm. I bet the FTC would let it go because of that particular point. And if they can say, hey, this is bringing down this exorbitant cost that drugs are are taking on Americans, then maybe it could be a good thing. And they would rather have that than shut down the duopoly. Well, and and, and of course, neither of us are legal experts, so this is totally speculation on our parts. But, um, but the the other piece is if you think about just retail pharmacies, um, then you know you've got CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, and there's not really anybody else that's of any really serious size. But when you think about pharmacies that do retail, so essentially retail pharmacies that are owned by other other competitors, you know, you've got Kroger, you've got Walmart, you've got a lot of um, even Costco has has made some noise about kind of entering in the pharmacy space, and so you've got a lot of other ways that people can fill their uh, prescriptions and get their flu shots, and so I think that while. Um, in the standalone retail pharmacy space, yes, it looks like you know this consolidation would be substantial. When you really think about the broader, how can patients get their get get drugs uh, from stores? There are a lot of other opportunities outside of strictly these retail pharmacies, and we're not even talking yet about mail order pharmacy, specialty pharmacy, kind of all of these other things that are to some extent. Um, to some extent, uh, disrupting the industry, and also, and as a result, kind of competing in these other ways. So, in, in my head, there's still a great deal of competition. Yeah, that's a great point. And so, when I'm looking at this, and I, and I see, okay, this deal is probably going to go through. It's clearly going to make a splash. Who are the winners and who are the losers? As investors, what should you be doing with your money? Yeah, and of course, you know, we we don't give financial advice, but certainly in my head. Um, so, so thinking about it from the, the the three spaces, right? Walgreens shareholder, Rite Aid shareholder, CVS shareholder. Assuming that everything goes according to plan, right? Mm-hmm. And the FTC steps in. Um, I think Rite Aid shareholders, hey, you just got a forty eight percent premium on uh, on what your uh, on what your stock was trading for a couple days ago, and yeah, of course the stock popped very nicely yesterday, and it's given a little bit of that back, but I think you're still up maybe forty percent. That that's not bad. Not so, yeah, and and if the deal ultimately goes through, you get nine bucks a share, which means you know it's a pretty substantial gain uh, if you purchased pretty much before this week. <laughs> um, I uh, so so I think that for for Rite Aid, this is a pretty darn good deal, and um, given the company's um, continuing difficulties, uh, achieving scale and closing out of performing stores and all these other things, uh, in my head, this is a kind of like take take the money and ride into the sunset. Uh, congratulations, things went really well, kind of deal. Um, in my head, for uh, CVS shareholders, um, I think it's really too, even if this deal goes through, I think it's really too soon to say that this is uh, negative for CVS. Again, you know, CVS has done a, a very good job of expanding over the years, um, acquiring Caremark a few years back to get into the PBM business, uh, acquiring the Target pharmacies. Um, Earlier this year, and at a pretty good price point, um, so they're doing a great deal to grow their network. And since this is a differentiated business in a lot of ways, particularly because of tobacco, um, in in my head, CVS uh, is still sitting pretty. Um, and I think that what CVS 
in my head, CBS shareholders basically want to really keep a close eye on what happens, whether this goes through, and then afterwards, kind of how the integration goes over the next couple of quarters. And Walgreens didn't really do much to signpost what's going to happen over these next few quarters. So we'll be looking forward to seeing, although I uh, believe they expected it to, to close sometime next year. So, um, so, so that's kind of that. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a wait and see, but CBS is still in a very good spot. What about as a shareholder of Walgreens? I mean, I'm personally not. I don't believe you are either. But I think if I were, I would be a little bit concerned with their debt right now. I mean, this is a company that already had $11.7 billion in debt. They're going to be leveraging to make this deal happen. Mm -hmm. And they're also acquiring Rite Aid's debt, which is pretty substantial. I mean, Rite Aid's sitting on uh, $7.3 billion Mm -hmm. in debt that is now going to be Walgreens' debt. Right. I I mean... (sighs) You know, CVS actually sits on a fair bit of debt on, on on their own, so I'm not necessarily too worried about the debt. Except the real question is going to be, okay, what about store cannibalization? You know, is this going to be a right at Eckerd again? We we certainly hope not. And 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 to be fair, like Walgreens has been pretty aggressive about closing stores. They closed 75 this past quarter, um, and and you can probably imagine that those underperforming stores. This is a point you brought up before we before we went on air, Christine. Um, we're probably right next to a Rite Aid, right? And so chances are pretty good that they are, in a lot of ways, already kind of um, planning for what this might look like, um, which will hopefully you know reduce the possibilities of cannibalization. That said, I think it's still a very real possibility. I mean, these are these are fairly large footprint companies, um, and in the same line of business, this is not like uh, Alliance Boots, where you really had you know a lot of stores in foreign countries, um, which is just. You know, not competing with the U.S. Uh, with the U.S. stores, uh, I'd, I'd say pretty obviously. So, um, I'm, I, I think this is a wait and see kind of thing for Walgreens shareholders too. Um, I, I I've got to be upfront. I'm not. Um, I think that CVS has had a much better strategy for approaching um, what health what what's becoming of healthcare in the retail pharmacy space than Walgreens has. Um, I think that the the sole focus on retail pharmacies isn't necessarily a good move long-term, um, just as that industry is continually disrupted. And I think CVS has done a lot more to kind of invest in those disruptions and in those disruptors. Um, so if you if you are confident already in your investing thesis of Walgreens and you have confidence in management, then give them the benefit of the doubt. If, uh, if like me, you're a, you're a doubter uh, a little bit of Walgreens management and kind of how uh, kind of the direction of the company, then in my head, this has done nothing to change that thesis. Yeah, I mean, and the point that you bring up is that we are still figuring all this out, and it is a little bit of a wait and see game at this point. Mm-hmm. So, all of our foolish healthcare analysts are still digesting the news, and I'd encourage everybody to check back to fool.com for our ongoing coverage of this story. I know some of our analysts have already published their own takes on mm-hmm. it, and they've been really interesting to read. Uh, while you're at it, check out focus.fool.com. This is our landing page where we are offering you, awesome listeners of the show, our best pricing on our flagship newsletter stock picking service, which is called Stock Advisor. Again, that's focus.fool.com. So there was one other piece of healthcare news that caught my eye this week that I wanted to talk about. But first, I just want to put it out there as always that folks on the show may have interest in the stocks that they talk about. The Motley Fool might have formal recommendations for or against them. So as always, do your own research and don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear today. So our final story of the day. The World Health Organization released a report earlier this week on Monday saying that eating processed meat 
can cause cancer. And so this was a study of 800 epidemiological cases that said that processed meat pretty much correlates to having a higher chance of developing certain cancers. Mm -hmm. And of course, I mean, this made a huge splash whenever you combine the words bacon and cancer and people are going to get all up in arms. Right. And I think the thing to realize here is what actually came out of this is that processed meat is now going on what's called the group one list, which means that there is sufficient evidence of there being a link to cancer. You know, people see the news and they say, oh, my gosh, this group one list has things like tobacco on it and asbestos, things that you certainly want to avoid if you're worried about increasing your chances of getting cancer. Mm -hmm. However, what that group one list really means is not that there's as much of a chance of you developing cancer as if you were a heavy lifetime smoker, but rather that the scientific evidence is as strong that there is a correlation mm-hmm. of some magnitude. Yeah. Um, so in, in my head, this is this is one of those things where um, everyone needs to, if you'll pardon the pun, digest the data. Yeah, I couldn't resist. <laughs> you know, it's the Motley Fool. We have to make puns from time to time. <laughs> um, I, I think that everyone needs to needs to take some time and think about the data and, and and think about kind of you know what sort of meal planning they want to do as a result. Um, really pick at the meat of the matter. Oh gosh, we're we're just going to keep going on this, aren't <laughs> we? I, I regret everything. Uh, but but no, I I think that. Um, you know, we've we've known for a while that red meat has a lot of negative health consequences. Um, in not if it's not uh, taken in uh, uh, in moderation, uh, eaten in moderation, I guess. Um, and so I think that it's it's another it's another warning flag that people should keep an eye out for. Um, and I imagine that um, the the conversation about it, around it will evolve a lot more over the coming weeks, months, and years. Yeah, and this, again, is a long-term puzzle, and it's just one more piece to put in it. Hopefully, if you dig into the study itself, you can take something out of it and mm-hmm. you know just pay attention to your diet. That's really the most important thing. Um, I think in the short term, probably the best thing that I can think of to come out of it is now that red meat is apparently scary, then you could totally be a strip of bacon for Halloween. Which is coming up this weekend. What do you think? (laughs) Something to look forward to. I'm sure we'll see quite a bit of that around here at Full HQ. Folks, you heard it here first. The most popular Halloween costume this year going to be a strip of bacon. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Folks, thanks for listening, as always, and full on. 